0: Thank you, Star. Appreciate all you do putting those together. I know that uh that's not yes it's a lot of work to, to do all of that, so I appreciate that. Let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter four. And I ain't got my Bible. I probably need that. Sadly, many pastors wouldn't. It's heartbreaking. But we're going to open it up and see if we can't learn a little something from the Word of God. Amen? Amen. I don't know what we'd do without it. Uh, let's all stand to our feet for the reading and the hearing of God's Word. I'm going to read uh, just verses 2 through 6. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, which in wisdom, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the the time, and let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. So just a really quick um, um, follow-up to what we have done in the past few weeks. We've been through the book of Colossians, and, and I think I'll probably finish today. There's a rather large um, final greeting there at the end um, that, that won't take a ton of time to get through just because of the makeup of the, the final greeting and the conclusion of the letter. Uh, but we will go over verses 2 through 6 and unpack them a little bit. We see this final instructions, this final message that Paul leaves with the Colossian church. But up to this point, we have been witness to what Paul has done here in Colossians, laying out this message to the church at Col- uh, to, of Colossian, and this, this um, message that he's sending out to these believers who were really under attack from different groups of people uh judaizers agnostics or not agnostics but gnostics and uh those those that were trying to push other um ideas onto them and trying to make the the gospel and trying to make christianity about something more than simply just christ and so what paul does there is he lays out a solid case in chapters one about jesus christ being the only god being the creator of the universe and we see that we see the preeminence of christ uh, all throughout the first chapter then he moves to talking about his ministry to the church and and how he Uh, went about doing this ministry and why he went about doing this ministry uh, talking about to them God chose to make known how great among you the Gentiles are Uh, uh, the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which we'll talk about here in just a second and what is that mystery it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this is what Paul's trying to convey to his readers is that it's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. It's not external uh, rules. It's not great visions. It's not any of these things. It's Christ in you that is the hope of glory. Christ being the fulfillment of all things. So we've looked at the law a lot. We've looked at um mission we've looked at vision we have looked at all of these different things about how you know we can really make life about a lot of different things can't we we can make it about good things we can make it about in the middle things we can make it about all kind of stuff but the bottom line is is that the bible teaches that whatever we do we do it as if doing it for the lord and so we talked about then as christ is the fulfillment of all things that christ is uh the our life and the Bible talks about our life is hidden in Christ and when Christ appears then will appear our life that that's the hope that is the glory and so every, the whole book what paul's saying is and robert's talking about this this morning is that the whole book of colossians all paul is really saying is christ 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 and, and and it may be like i'm over spiritualizing the book but i mean i don't i don't think you can over spiritualize when you're trying you can't make it too much about jesus christ i'm not sure how you would do that but what that's what paul's doing here he's saying that we're looking to christ we're looking to christ and and he makes a big push on how we are to become more holy, how we are to become uh, more righteous, more like God. And he talks about all these different ways that people try to become more righteous, Um, all these different regulations and human precepts and teachings, that these have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. We went into chapter 3 last week and said, no, that's through Christ. We set our minds on the things above, our hearts after God, our minds set on Christ. And when we set our minds on Christ when we set our hearts on the things above, then we are start we and we uh, are filled up with Christ. We're filled up with the power of the Holy Spirit. The law of God is written on our hearts that we uh, that we are started to be conformed to the image of Christ and the law of Christ now governs us. We have a new administrator, and that through Christ we start to become a fulfillment of the law, not in just a written oral code, but to every even down deeper down to the deepest parts of the heart. We start to be transformed so that we see the inward being addressed and not just the outward. So we talked last week, and this is the final I, I just since we're finishing today, I wanted to summarize the whole thing, is that last week we talked about how that works itself out in everyday life. So he talked about different realities that we find ourselves in, whether it be wives, whether it be husbands, whether it be fathers, whether it be in, in a servitude, in whatever type of environment we find ourselves in. At work. Okay, so um, you say, well, it was talking about a slave. Well, it's talking about a bond servant, which is more of an indentured servant who is someone who's working off their debt. So, whatever situation we find ourselves in, and I think he chose that because Onesimus is going to come up, and we're going to see how that relates to this too. But in, he ends that chapter 3 with this. He says, um, uh, he says bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by way of eye services people pleasers but with sincerity of heart see again he's taking it back to a heart place oftentimes and, and see how practical these implications are like this is the most practical implication that you could possibly have This is saying right here, it's saying, listen, some of you can't stand being at work. You hate being at work, and you just go to work just to get it done and go home. But even that, even that can have sinful tendencies to it. He's saying that when you, he's telling Onesimus, well, Bond servants, but this is directly applied to Onesimus. He's saying, when you go back to subvert yourself back to your earthly master, don't just do it because I told you to. No, do it out of an abundance of joy, knowing that you're actually serving God. How would this change our reality, folks? How would this change our evangelism? You say, what do you mean? What would your evangelism look like if Christianity wasn't just a Sunday morning ritual? What would your evangel- What would your effect be for the kingdom of God, if your if your Christianity moved from a Sunday ritual to a every second of every minute of every hour of every day heart change, that when you went to work to pack the boxes or to um, bag the groceries or to serve the tables or to cut down the trees or to repair the water or whatever. Whatever you do, what would it look like? What would the effect be for the kingdom of God that you would do that under the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Using it, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So it's a good segue into what we're going to talk about today. So today we're going to talk about the aspects of Christ being not just your life, not just these things, but also being your mission in every other avenue and every other aspect of your life. So uh, let's look at Colossians chapter four. Uh, and just to remind you, the law of Christ, my wife made this uh, graphic for me to kind of, it's a little bit light up here. But if you'll remember the law of Christ, the reason I put this up here is that the law of Christ is the govern is the government, the governing administration of our life, and that is Christ himself in us, the hope of glory. The law of Christ is that we are to be like Christ himself, that we are to emulate and be filled with his love, and that is to come from us, that we are to reflect the image of Christ, that the example that he said that we are to live like Christ, the instructions of Christ, every teaching that is in the scriptures of Christ, the standards taught by, by Christ's apostles, so the teachings of Christ's apostles, and then T, the totality of scripture, total scripture, every word in the scriptures, but every word in the entire Bible in light of the Messiah, in light of who Christ is. So from Genesis to Revelation, every text, every scripture is to instruct us, but we are to see that in light of who Jesus Christ is and to understand how it applies to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We follow this up with Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. This says, Christ is all. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you shall also appear with him in glory. We follow on down to, to verse 11. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. It's all about Jesus Christ. So we see that he is your beginning, middle, and end we understand that he is your life we understand that he is your home life so your life in general your life in whole but he is also your home life he is every every relationship that you have close to you that's not kin he is your all your friendships he is your career and lastly he is your mission so i want to break down and unpack the text uh, colossians chapter 4 in light of really these last this last one he is your mission. All of these other things we've already looked at. And I don't want to try to over-spiritualize. Uh, Paul has done this here. He's saying Christ is your life. Christ is your everything. Christ is your all. Every single thing that we do, we run through the filter. We run through the, we run through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is how we interact, relate to, and involve ourselves with the world around us, period. Every single aspect of it. So what does it look like for Christ to be our mission? So Paul has went through this whole letter talking to his friends. Remember, he didn't start that, that church at, uh, at Colossae. It was actually Epaphras who did. But he was the one that God used to change Epaphras' life. And so he's written this letter instructing them to look to Christ, that they're alive in Christ, and so on and so forth. And now he has this message for them at the end of the letter. He says, these are instructions. These are explicit instructions. He says, continue, looking at uh, verses Two through uh, four. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So we see this movement here. So Paul has laid out all of these instructions, and this is what I, I, I. long for us to get out of all of this I think is that we've had a lot of possibly to some of you somewhat boring teaching it's it's been and I was talking to Heather about this the other day it's been really kind of technical just teaching many of the weeks last week not quite as much but just teaching you know what you know how do we relate to the law what law are we under how does that work how does that look and then you, we hear that and we go, well, this is good information, but what do I do with that? And so last week we talked a lot about how Christ affects us on a daily basis in the relationships that we have. And here's what I want for us to come out. So last week, Paul, last week I showed how Paul said, now, listen, you're made whole in Christ. Christ is all and in all. And this is what that looks like in different relationships that you're in. So wives, husbands, fathers, and, and so on and so forth. Well, today, what I want to show you is is that not only does it affect your home life, not only does it affect your friendships, not only does it affect your career, but it is to be the undergirding mission of your entire existence, okay? So what this looks like is is that, let let me paint it this way. As you interact with your wife, you are to love her for the express purpose of revealing and declaring the mysteries of God to her. Every word that you speak and every action that you take with your wife, and I just got smacked right in the mouth of my bleeding marks. Every word that you say and every action that you take with your wife is to bring out the person and work of Jesus Christ in her. Wives, the same thing. Wives, submit to your husbands in all things as is fitting to the Lord. You say, you shouldn't say that. The word says it. I didn't. The bottom line is is that as you interact with your husband is to draw out the gospel in him. It is to draw out the Christ in him. It is to cause him, to be used by God, to cause him to be more like Christ. Fathers to children, mothers to children, children to parents. He said, children, honor your parents. Every relationship that you have is to be undergirded and to be outsourced by the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. Again, this vertical relationship is to be the power and the source of every horizontal relationship. You can't do these relationships properly without this relationship working in proper order, right? That's what we was talking about this morning on premarital. You can't have, You can't do this right. Marriages will not be what God desires for them to be if you individually aren't where you need to be here, okay? That this right here will uh, inform and empower this right here, okay? And what's the cool thing about it is, this is just a side note, no extra charge, is that when this is right even when this is wrong this is okay when this is right when you're right with God and other people come against you and do you wrong then you're okay because you still got your anchor you still got your your tether i heard somebody say one time that we're we're like a We're like a kite, and the kite string is God's love. It's our connection to God. As long as that string's in place and the kite's flying just fine, even when the winds get wrong, you know, even when it gets tough. So we need God. We need to be in relationship with God. But everything that you do in life is to be to the express purpose and for the purposes of revealing the mysteries of God. Where do I get that in the text? Well, it says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, I want to show that there's movement in everything that you do. So in your relationship with your... Okay, so if I had my whiteboard up here, I'd probably draw at this point, but just think with me for a second. So I'm I'm I have laid out the book of Colossians and, and Paul said listen this is the truth about Christ and how it relates to you that Jesus Christ is God he's the creator he's the fulfillment he's all he's your life he's your hope you know he's the he's the hope for other people as he's revealed in you right the the the, the mystery of Christ is uh, in you that Christ in you is the hope of glory so as Christ is revealed in you the hope of glory is revealed to other people around you and so we have this reality but how that what happens is it plays itself out in the different aspects of the Christian life so a true believer will be a certain type of wife right a true believer will be a certain type of husband He'll be a certain type of uh, son. He'll, she'll be a certain type of daughter, and, and it'll affect your relationships in your life, a certain type of friend, right? You know the ones that, the, the friends that you have that really do love Jesus, like you can count on them in a little bit different way than you can the other people that you know, right? It's not saying that, that Christians are better people, but Christians better have a better foundation, Right? And so, yeah. and so we have to think about these things. But what I'm saying is, is that let's look at that as the, the I, I would say, the growing um, aspects of life that are more stationary and are more anchored. So hopefully you'll have the same wife for the rest of your life. Right? You'll have the same husband for the rest of your life. You'll have the same children for the rest of your life. They'll always be your children. They'll always be your husband. They'll always be your wife. That's the way it's supposed to be, right? What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. So those are kind of anchored, stationary, growing, yet stationary. They're anchored there, right? And the rest of your life is like a movement, okay? So whatever you do in the stationary parts of your life is a is an example, it's a petri dish for what the rest of your life will look like, okay? So what happens is it starts smaller and expands out and goes bigger. So you should be, if you're a, if you're a kingdom um, inhabitant, if you're a kingdom citizen, if you are part of the, of the body of Christ, then you are called to to be a certain type of organism, and that is is that you're founded in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're continually expanding outward to draw more people into what it means to be alive. Okay, does that make sense so far? So you are to work at home, you are to work in your close relationships, and you are to you are to be used by God to progress those, but you are also continually moving outward, reaching and bringing more people into this fold. And that's what Paul's doing. He's expanding the gospel, okay? But the problem is is that we have to get it right at the foundation. So it all starts at a point, okay? Jesus Christ is the point, Right. right? And when we're found in Christ, then we can be, what's the next relationship? Come on, somebody. Wife, husband yes we start with christ and then the next relationship is wife and husband what's the next children Children. what's the next extended family friends church family and the next it just expands out to there so that we've got to get the first right got to get the second right Got to get the third right, and that's how we move outward. That's why the, one of the qualifications, and I'm to spend a lot of time here, but that's why one of the qualifications of elder is, is that he'd be able to manage his own household well. If he can't manage his own household, what business does he have trying to manage the household of God, right? And so we need to be continually pursuing after relationships here, but as those relationships start to unfold and blossom for the Lord Jesus Christ, we expand out into ministry, okay? So your ministry actually starts in your own home. And if you're not ministering in your own home, then what you're actually being is a tool for the devil. If you're not a tool for Christ, you are a tool for the enemy. There is no, there is no Luke, you know, remember what Jesus said, I wish you were either hot or cold. You know, since you're lukewarm, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. There is no, you know, the whole proverbial fence. Nobody rides the fence. You're either for Christ or against Christ. There is no in, in the middle there. So if you're not actively leading your family toward the Lord Jesus Christ, you are actively leading them away. And some of us need to be hit right in the mouth with that. If you are setting an example that is not Christ like, then you are setting an example that is what? Satan like. That's just a fact, okay? Now, if that hits you hard, I'm not sorry, I'm glad so that now you see it. Now you can make a change. I need to see that from time to time. When I, and just because you're a believer doesn't mean that you never, you know, make a mistake, right? But you need to repent. And so we have movement here that we... Think about the ways that we interact with the world around us. So we interact with our family, we love our family, we let Christ use us, and we expand and move outwards from there. So Paul here is addressing that. He's addressed the closer relationships, your career, to things like that. And he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, um, With thanksgiving, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open up, uh, open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So Paul here is saying, "Listen, I want you to be a part of what's going on." But watch what he does. He said, "Continue steadfastly in prayer." prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then he says at the same time pray all pray for us also. So if he's saying on the second round he says pray for us also, what was he saying on the first? I think he's saying continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Remember what remember that time when uh he was in the garden and uh he was with the disciples and he was like, "Hey, pray with me that we may what?" that you may not fall into temptation. Remember that? And then they fell asleep, and he's like, you idiots. You know, he didn't actually say that, my paraphrase. But he's like, what are y'all doing? You can't even stay awake for one hour to pray. And he's like, you're going to fall into temptation. And, you know, we know that they ended up falling into temptation. But I think that's what Paul's saying here is that you need to pray for yourselves. You know, we have this thing that sometimes we're, we tell people that you should never pray for yourself. But that's just silly. I, I know how bad I need prayer, right? And I don't, And I, now, granted, I'm not saying pray for yourself that you'd have Mercedes and Lexuses and, you know, million-dollar homes, you know, whatever. If you got a Lexus, I'm not knocking on you. I'm just saying, let's set our mind on the things above. And if God blesses you with one, cool. Let me drive it sometime. (laughs) What I'm saying is, is that set your mind on things above and pursue after prayer that you would not fall into temptation that you would not get your eyes off of the prize and set them on things down here and get overwhelmed with worry, overwhelmed with guilt, right? Sometimes it's not even gross sin that we find ourselves in, at least not what the world would say. You know, it's not all, all of you who you, know, you get out on a, on a tirade doing drugs or getting drunk and sleeping around. A lot of the times your greatest woes uh, come from just worry. You know, I know that I'm guilty of it. As a matter of fact, it happened to me yesterday. You want me to confess right quick? Why y'all want me to confess? (laughs) So yesterday we're at a a basketball game and my son Ezekiel, he's a nut job. I'm telling you, he is crazy. Oh my God, I don't understand, right? He's just like his mama. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. I'll probably pay for that later. No, but he is, he's crazy and he admits it. And we need to pray for Ezekiel because he's like, pray for me, I'm crazy. So Ezekiel, he's just a very passionate, passionate, passionate child, right? And so we're out on the basketball court yesterday, and things aren't going his way, and so he just kind of crumbles and falls apart, right? Well, it's embarrassing to me, right? And so I'm getting upset with him. I'm getting aggravated. I have a two-fold reason why I'm getting upset, right? One, when he falls apart, he can't play right, and we're going to lose because you're falling apart, right? So I'm like, get it together, boy. We've got to play a basketball game here, and it was doggone Eric's kid that did it all. It's their fault, right? They raised nothing. and so. But that's one aspect of it is that I wanted him to do well in the game, right? And I was embarrassed, and I was he, I was embarrassed for him, right? And then secondly, it was because of the game. But secondly, it was because that he was embarrassing me, right? And so, how did I respond? Did I respond in love and gentleness? No, I'm not gonna lose that on the pitch you know and that wasn't good for him it wasn't good for me you know made a fool out of myself probably a little bit and so we need to watch how we interact we need to watch how we how we go about doing what it is that we do right so we get so what so i wasn't out smoking crack yesterday right but i did fall into sin and i have to apologize to ezekiel because even though he was in sin too i'm i'm convinced (laughs) something about that had to be sinful right at the same time, it caused me to fall. And, and I will say this in front of God and everybody, we're live, is that I'm sure he learned some of that from me. Because I can certainly become too competitive. Am I right, Robert? We all know about getting thrown out of games and such, right? <laughs> this is the best running joke of all times. It's like at least 12 years old, right? I ain't got, out of, I ain't got thrown out of any games yet, okay? But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the point here is is that we usually don't get caught up in, in, well, sometimes we do, but usually we don't get caught up in gross sin. Most of the time when we find ourselves in sin, it's because we just lose our bearings a little bit, right? We start worrying about too much. Like yesterday, I was too worried about what other people were thinking. I was too worried about a little little league basketball game, right? It was kind of silly. And I end up sinning because of a little league basketball game. But how many times do we end up sinning over the smallest little silliest things, right? <laughs> And Paul's like, listen, you need to be in continual, consistent, steadfast prayer that you wouldn't fall. I think that's what he's saying here. So pray for yourselves that we need to move. But secondly, he says, pray for us also. Why? He says, pray that God may open to us a door for the word. I'm going to spend a lot of time right here, but I will point out a couple of different things. He says, Pray for us that God would open a door for the word. So Paul's saying, pray for us for something specific, and that is specific, and that is that God would open up a door for us to be able to proclaim the Word of God. Pa- uh, Paul says, there's something that I need to do. Now remember, Paul's got his own relationships, right? Paul has friendships. He has really dear friends, Timothy. He calls him a, even a son. He has these close, close, close relationships, right? But Paul, while having these great close relationships, has uh, has a mission in mind, and even those relationships are facilitating movement for the for the word of God to go forth and to go out. You see that? And I can't help but to think that Paul's looking to convey that same thing to us, to to the, his readers. He's saying, look, every relationship I got is for one express purpose to to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ so as you I can't help but to apply these same principles so wives you're to draw out a proclaiming spirit from your husband husband you're to draw out a proclaiming spirit for your wife what would that look like practically you don't have to be a theologian to do this now I do believe that we should have more family devotion time and get into the scripture but you know that you can make your wife more of an evangelist without even cracking a Bible now don't hear me saying the Bible is not important it absolutely is we need to understand the Bible rightly but what I'm saying is is that a happy wife is one that'll go out and and strive to make the life of other people better. Listen, you you may very well be one of the key ingredients to helping your wife to be glorified, to be always glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example. If you are uh, if you are a jerk to your wife, if you if you're not loving her well, if you are continually criticizing her, if you're continually putting her down, if you're continually complaining about how she does what she does then you think that she's going to be um, a happy uh, full-spirited wonderfully um, just fulfilled person who is wonderful to be around is and is a light to the world or is she going to is she going to be beat down feeling abandoned feeling worthless and just walking around like this all the time and if somebody's walking around like this who's supposed to be a christian is it a wonderful example to those around of what it's like to be a christian if I'm a Christian, I'm like this all the time. Do you want to be a Christian? No. no, right? And it's not to say that we've got to walk around with a fake smile on our face, but I do believe that we could really, really, really benefit the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ just by being nice to each other and that's not over complicated right you don't have to be a systematic theologian to be nice to your wife or to be nice to your husband it's the same way the other way around right if you if you continually beat your husband down and nag him to death because of this or because of that and you are continually just just beating him to death and he's walking around you know feeling worthless man you know you, you've really not helped the gospel by the way you interact with your husband But if you find that one thing and lift him up, and and men, generally speaking, really love to have words of affirmation. Every Every time we've done this, it's that men really, so, you know, babe, just tell me from time to time how hot I am. I will be more of a glorifier of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, if my wife smacks me on the butt, hey, let me tell you something, I'm going to witness to somebody. That's all I'm saying, right? Listen, listen. I preach, you slap, we good. I'm telling you the truth right now, right? Am I, am I lying? I'm lying, a good slap on a tail will do a man real good. I'm just saying. Now, women don't like that. My wife won't even walk up the stairs in front of me no more. I always thought it was gospel proclamation is the only reason I was doing that, but she won't even walk up the stairs. Where are you going, bro? It's okay. Hang around. <laughs> He's going ahead and getting a recording of this so I can't back out of it later. No, 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 be nice to one another because a nice Christian is a far, far, far easier Christian to follow. Right, yeah. Everybody wants to be around, you know, nobody wants to be around old Krabby Patty, you know? (laughs) And I think that's the real reason why the Bible says, fathers, don't, don't provoke your children to anger, right? It hurts both of you. One, you're being a jerk and nobody wants to be around you. And two, your kids are jerks because you made them jerks because you're provoking them to anger. Nobody wants to be around your kids, right? Man, a lot of the times, you, when, when, you, when you got a kid and you don't want to be around that kid, it's because you probably didn't want to be around their parents. Be the type of person that you would like to be around. A lot of the times it's just really simple. You don't have to be a theologian to get some of this stuff. So Paul's saying, look, pray for us and pray that we, and here's one other thing and I need to move on. He's saying, look, pray for us and pray that the Lord would open up a door for us to declare the mystery of Christ. And he already told us what the mystery of Christ was. What was it? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, help, he's saying, help, pray for us that God would open up a door that we could share the word of God and that that word of God would teach people that you actually could be the place where heaven meets earth and the gospel goes forth and the, and the kingdom is built. That's an amazing, that's an amazing thing, right? So he's saying, look, pray for pray that God would open up a way that I could really glorify God and to to help other people be born again and to be the place where heaven meets earth. Now, that's that's cool. That's awesome. That's a great message, but, but that's not what I want to point out. I want to point out this. This is how serious Paul was about it. He says, on account, so I'm asking you to pray about something that cost me something. He says, pray that the, the door would be open for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. <laughs> okay, so here's, the, here's what Paul's saying. He's like, listen, this, this almost got me killed, but can you pray it keeps on happening? Yeah. Have you thought about that? He says, look, I'm sitting in prison right now for what I'm asking you to pray for. Do you think that he was sold out for the gospel? In, In other words, he's saying is that I'm in prison and I don't care to go back. That's how much I love Jesus. That's how much I'm about the gospel. Pray that what got me in prison can keep on happening. That's powerful. And you might miss that if you just read by. That's powerful right there. He's like, I'm sitting in prison right now, writing right now. Here's another thing, I'm sitting in prison right now, writing you this letter, and I'm happy to be doing it. I'm happy to be. I I would I would gladly go back. As a matter of fact, could you pray that the same thing that got me in here can keep on happening? That's man, that's that's crazy. And it takes us to this level where we understand that we can be okay where we are. Your marriage isn't perfect, yeah, that's okay. Paul was written and writing from pit prison your your children a little crazy that's okay keep trusting God keep being happy because God's got you know he's got it under control he's in control we can trust him right and even if it looks like it's it's spinning out of control, we know that Christ is still the foundation. We know that Christ is, is still God. He created it all. Go back to chapter one of Colossians. So we're going to be okay. So, you know, movement. We got to be, Paul's saying, look, keep, you know, pray that God would keep you and that he would put this on your mind. Pray for me that we can keep moving forward to gospel. Keep moving forward to gospel. I don't care if I have to go back to prison. I want to move, 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 move. All my relationships are about moving for the gospel. So we're, we're, it's it's about the movement, okay? But secondly, let's look. look at verses five and six uh so he says walk in wisdom this is a really good aspect right here okay so you you're in your home and you're pursuing after christ man you need to be filled up full of christ you're just in love with christ and it'll come out and then he says walk in wisdom toward outsiders see how he's moving so the movement takes you where so we're building this we're, we're building this this um this core this base this um, this bunker, you know, where we we've got everything that we need. We've got our survival kit. Christ is all. Everything that we need is right here. And we're building our core up in Jesus Christ. And as we build our core up in Jesus Christ, it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's expanding, right? And in every aspect in our lives, we are doing what we're doing with the with the mindset, with the with this reality in the background of. How do I interact with this person so that my interaction with this person would glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and help me to expand um, awareness of Christ, acceptance of Christ, the glory of Christ? How can, how can my interaction with this person, how can my interaction with Ben or with Mallory or with Dustin or with, with Josh or whoever, how can my interaction with you glorify Christ. Whoa, man, how would that change? Before you ever open your mouth in reacting to whether it be your wife or your friend or whoever, is what I'm about to say pointed in the direction of glorifying Christ? And if it's not, let me shut my mouth. Yeah, right. That would be a crazy change just even right there. But so the, all those relationships are for the movement going out. So he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. So now this is the people outside your fold okay i would even say this is people outside of probably your workplace unless you have a big workplace because those people you should So, if you spend more than than two hours around someone a day or or maybe not even that that you should all so how can i say this without hitting you too hard So, so like when you interact with people around you do you interact with them with the express purpose of glorifying the lord jesus christ or do you see most people think when I say do you have a ritual that you go through on Sundays and then you have another life? I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't hesitate to say that I guarantee you in a in a in a in a crowd this size there's probably a lot of people in here that you come and you sit and you listen to me run my mouth about Jesus for an hour or two, right? But then when when Sunday morning at 12.15 rolls around and you walk out those doors, you don't talk or think about Jesus again until you get back here. Well, 30. What? You said 12.30, 1 o'clock, whatever. <laughs> but now some of you aren't like that. Some of you are really kingdom-minded. You're about the kingdom. And so... Are you, are you calculated? Are you calculated? So the interactions that you have at your workplace, you know, are you saying, okay, so you work at this one workstation, okay, and there's a dude that works with you. He's worked with you for two years, right? And he works 50 foot away from you. He knows you're a Christian just because people know you're a Christian. But have you ever intentionally about and planned out a way by which you might be able to lay out the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to reveal the mystery of Christ to that individual now you may not be able to do that you may lay it out You may reject it but have you asked God have you calculated he says walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of your time Paul saying that we don't got Paul's saying we don't have time to waste we don't have any time to waste We have to be interacting with people in such a way that we are being able to unfold before their very eyes the mysteries of Christ. That we are to to make the best use of our time and walk in wisdom. So it's calculated. Do you just go about just interacting with people, right? You don't really have any rhyme or reason. See, this is is indicative of, of a mission. We have a mission in life. And wherever you are, you are to go in that with a game plan, a a calculated movement that you are walking in wisdom thinking, all right, now what are their interests? Think about how Paul interacted with the people at the Areopagus or how he acted with the the party of the circumcision or with the Gentiles or with, with whoever. Paul says, I became all things to all men so that I might win some. To this person, I became this. To that person, I became this. You know what Paul had to do in order to become all those things? He had to study. He had to think. He had to calculate. He had to say, what's this guy like? What's his interest? It may even be that you're working with a guy who likes to do something you've never done before. Let's say just for, let's take bowling. And you say, well, well, so-and-so likes bowling. I'm not really into bowling, but you know, I'm going to learn a little bit about bowling so I can strike up a conversation about bowling and work the gospel in somewhere, asking that what? That, Paul, that God would open, what does he say? God may open to us a door for the word. Bowling might be the door. Who knows? I just, you know, pull it. But what I'm saying is, is that do you think about these things? Are you walking in wisdom? Are you calculating how you might be able to be used by God in this situation? So he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, here's a really good one, right? The, the, uh, street, most street preachers haven't read this verse, right? Most street preachers hadn't read this verse. Now, I'm, I'm all for some street preaching. That's cool. I'm actually going Tuesday. Hey, I forgot about it. Y'all pray for me. Uh, because me and a couple, um, another pastor, maybe a couple other people, we're going down to the, um, to the abortion clinic in Greenville this coming Tuesday, and I'm going to see the operation they got going on down there. Several babies have been, have been saved already just by reaching out to the ladies who are going into the clinic saying, hey, just reconsider. Just, just consider Christ. Consider this. And like 30-some-odd some babies in just like five weeks have been saved because those ladies have been reached with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they decided not to. Isn't that amazing? And I saw that, and the Lord said, Brandon, put your money where your mouth is, right? And so I said, yes, Lord. And so I'm going down there Tuesday to see what's going on and to be a part of the prayer movement, and I'll probably start, hopefully start, to be able to share the gospel and to preach a little bit down there too. But there's actually, I think, uh, I, or I know, that there's one in Spartanburg too that nobody's doing this at. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go down, and I'm going to see what's going on down here, and maybe we can start one in Spartanburg and see the Lord saved babies in Spartanburg. And what's amazing, my boy, Matt Brock, I I don't I haven't met him personally yet, but I've been talking to him a good bit online. And, uh, he's got pictures and after pictures of ladies who have made the right decision and have saved their babies. And now we can look back and see actually hands on stuff that God did seeing these babies. That's been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? So you guys be praying about that. And the cool thing is, I got to read this, that, uh, Not only that, but um, they're gathering some funds because a lot of these ladies, you know why they're down there? Because they're scared they can't take care of these babies. They don't have a good place to stay. They're with an abusive husband or an abusive boyfriend. They don't have a way out. So they're also gathering funds to be able to say, walk up to this lady who's struggling. She's scared to death. She doesn't know what to do. This is the only way she sees out of it. We can say, hey, listen, God doesn't want you to kill your baby and we will help you, you need a way out, we will find a place, and put down the first down payment on your place, and help you find a job, because that's how much we care about these babies, put your money where your mouth is, okay, you can, we can, we, we, we can talk a good game, but will we walk a good game, Paul right here saying, walking wisdom toward the outside of making the best use of the time, what's the best use of your time, what you doing this coming Tuesday at 830 in the morning, if you retire, come on, see me, we're going to be oh, headed over to Greenville to see if we can save some babies to the power of the Holy Spirit, amen, so So it says, let your speech always be gracious. The reason I started saying that is because a lot of times when you see street preachers, their speech isn't always gracious. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and I and I get it, you know, the whole, I, I, was, I was listening to this thing one time, it said uh, um, this, this uh, preacher was preaching hellfire and brimstone, you know me, I don't shy away from preaching hell, you know, oh, here's another thing, I just remember too, March 7th, that Sunday night, it's just in a week or two, is that next week? Yeah, next week, next Sunday night, we're going to have a preliminary layout of the hell topic that we're talking about on the 20th of this month. Uh, 20th of this month during the debate. So please be here next Sunday night, 630. We're going to lay out the, the case for hell, and we're going to share with you uh, the uh, position of annihilation, and that way you can kind of have a little bit of insight going into this debate of what the two arguments are. Okay, so... Yeah, yeah, well you'll need to be here, okay, because on Sunday nights we don't do live, but we'll record and then we'll put it up, okay? So please be here next Sunday. Tonight is the presentation on cybersecurity. Next Sunday night is the talk about hell and the laying out of the case. So please be here 6.30 next Sunday night. Anyway, I don't shy away from the topic of hell. I don't mind telling y'all that y'all a bunch of sinners. You know I don't. I'm a sinner too, right? But the problem is, is that sometimes we don't, we don't salt that with graciousness. We don't, we don't come across, we come across in, in a condemning way. And you don't need to condemn anybody. They're already condemned if they don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And so this guy said, you know, this one guy told this other guy who was preaching about, you know, hell, he said, you'll, you'll preach, uh, you'll get more flies with honey. You've all heard that, right? You'll get more flies with honey. He said, I'm not trying to catch flies. I'm trying to kill sinners, right? And, and I get that. You need to tell people about their sin, but there's a gracious way that you can even do that. So he's saying here, he's like, make sure that you let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So I don't think it would do any good to stand on a street corner yelling out derogatory terms at people who are homosexuals or people who are going to have an abortion. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how well it would be to stand up, you know, the ladies going in who are terrified. Usually they're going in because they're terrified of how the, this and that, to, you know, scream murderer at them as they walk through, which all, we all know that, that killing an innocent baby is murder. But we we can let our speech be gracious. There's a way that we can present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with hope and with gentleness and with peace, seasoned with salt. What does salt do? Salt does sting. You pour salt into a wound, it does sting. And the truth is stinging enough. You don't have to make it more um, uh, offensive. The gospel is offensive enough. I promise it is. You don't have to make it more offensive. But salt also preserves. Right? So we need to make sure that it's gracious and it's preserving. So to move on, uh, he says here, uh, he says, so you need to be calculated. And we also have to communicate. So he says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord. I have sent him to you uh, for this very purpose. What purpose is that? This, I think this is important. He says that you may know how we are, and that He may encourage your hearts, and with Him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place. So I want to point out just a few things there. So Christ being all is to affect every single aspect of our life—the closest relationships, the um, our family. So our wife and our so Christ is all our wife and our husband our children our family and church family our friends and our career is to be everything but all of that is for a reason and that is to proclaim and declare the mystery of Christ which is the hope of glory in you and the building of the kingdom of God and so we see that he is our mission so every relationship that you have is for the express purpose of glorifying Christ and you need to have that in your mind it needs to be on the forefront of your mind you need to be asking yourself as you interact with your wife your husband your kids you need to ask yourself how is my interaction with my wife and my husband my kids how is that interaction doing as far as um, glorifying God and drawing out the glory of the Lord in my spouse or in my child or in my parents or whatever that that might be what how is your mission going okay and then we see that we, if this is a mission, right, and every aspect of your life is for the express purpose of glorifying Christ, and Dustin has a mission, I have a mission, right, uh, we all have this mission, then, then what is that kind of indicative of? Is that we're on a team, right? We're a team in here. Okay? And as a team, we have a goal. We have a mission that we all are going in the same direction. Now we can spend a lot of time there, but just for the, the purposes of saying, is that we need to help each other make the goal. We need to help each other get to the place that we want to be getting to. Does that make sense? Okay. So there's a lot of bit there's a lot of different aspects to that. One is is that Okay, let's say we're playing basketball. We just had a basketball yes, yesterday, basketball game yesterday. If uh, if I'm on a basketball court and I'm playing some old man ball, right, and, and, and I'm on a team and, and I get a little bit confused and, and I and I steal the ball and I take off running toward the wrong basket, right? And I'm about to make a basket for the wrong for, for and, and I'm about to make a shot in the wrong basket. What's my whole team doing? If they realize it. What? Whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Don't do that. Somebody might even come over and steal the ball from me, right? Now, I might get mad. If you go watch some blooper videos on YouTube, you can see some of this. What are you doing stealing the ball from me? And they're like, you're going the wrong way, bro, right? So it necessarily means that we have to hold each other accountable, right? If we're all supposed to be going in one direction, you see your brother, your teammate going in this direction, you got to be like, hold up, man, where are you going? We're going this way. And what is it to be? So, just a practical application of that. Let's be very practical here. If I, if if Robert and I, or or Eric and I, if if we're going, if me and another dude are going in the same direction because we love the Lord Jesus Christ, and and dude is starting to go back the other way by abusing his wife, or by um, you know looking at something he shouldn't be looking at, or doing something he shouldn't be doing. You know, what do I do? I said, bro, you're not going in the right direction. You're not going, to, what are you doing? You got you to gotta, you gotta change. You got to repent. Let's go in this direction. Come on. So we help each other out. So we're a team. We have the same goal. We also see that we must be moving. See, so football teams never win if they stand still. Basketball teams never win if they stand still, right? Baseball teams never win if they stand in the same spot, right? There's no team that can win a game That Stay in the same spot. We've got to move, right? We've got to get on the move. There's got to be movement. And so what we want to do is we want to say, okay, I'm living my life today and we can oftentimes get complacent and just kind of be who we are. But what if we ask ourselves a question every single day? Am I moving in the direction of glorifying Christ and revealing the mysteries of Christ? Am I doing this in the relationships that I have? So we got to move. So we also must move in wisdom. That's the calculated part of it. So we have to calculate. We have to be wise. We have to think about. We have to come up with a plan. Sometimes you got that guy at work. You got that girl in the convenience store that you always go to. You got this person here. You got that person there. You are to be thinking, calculating, um, um, considering. How could I get to to a place where I could where I could explain the gospel to this person. So we've got to do all of this in wisdom. And we must move in wisdom united. So the best football team is wise. They've calculated everything. They're on the move and they're all doing it Uh, together in perfect synchronized harmony, right? So if we've got disharmony, if we've got disunity, and we're not all going in the same direction, then oftentimes we're fighting against one another and that hinders progress, it hinders movements, right? One major way, I'll just throw this in, one major way to make sure that we're all moving in the right direction best we can is to major on the majors and not major on the minors. There's lots of places that we disagree, And we can slow ourselves down and get bogged down on the secondary, third, fourth, fifth tier issues and get our focus off of Christ and that will hinder us and slow us way down, right? But if we set our minds on Christ, we seek the things above, we set our hearts on the things above, and major just on the majors, we can sort the the other stuff out on the way, right? We can sort that stuff out on the way. Let's don't stop talking about this that doesn't even really matter. Let's talk about that stuff on the way. So we'll move in, in unison. Well, this communicated, calculated movement is for the express purpose of declaring the mystery of Christ okay so when this actually unfolds and it and it and it uh, it comes it becomes the reality in which we live and i don't really know how this is just a prayer thing right here i guess because so often there's people who come to the church there're people in the community that i know are believers there's people that i know who say they're believers but they don't really do this right they they don't they're not really about the person and work of Christ and their their mission isn't to declare the mysteries of Christ to everyone around them they believe and and listen I mean honestly ask yourself are you in this camp is Christianity for you a ritual that you complete on Sundays and then go home is that what it is do you not understand that you are ambassadors of Christ? Do you not understand that your express purpose in this universe is to declare the mysteries of Christ. And you say, I don't have a a theology degree. I never said that you had to. As a matter of fact, this actually uh, combats that issue that you've got to have some kind of degree. Paul's talking about wives and husbands and sons and daughters and slaves, right? I mean, Onesimus was a runaway slave. And he's telling Onesimus, listen, just go back to being a slave and as you are a slave a bond servant be one to the glory of god building the kingdom In your bonds, in your servant, in in this position that you're at, be a glorifying agent of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you do that, people will see. So Onesimus might have been later in life, you know, this is a little bit of conjecture here, but he may have been one of the greatest examples of Christ because what better position to be a demonstration of the Lord Jesus Christ than to become a servant of all, but to do it with a glad and joyful heart. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, this is, you don't have to be a theologian, you don't have to be a preacher, as a matter of fact, I've got, uh, you know, I, this is just what I, I do on Sunday mornings, if I'm not out in the community, living for Christ, and being an example, and I'm just standing here talking to you on Sunday morning, well, I'm to be above all most I'll be judged more harshly, I can't tell you and teach you this, and not do it myself, right, that's hypocritical, so I've got to, this is just a training ground, and as I talk to you, I'm getting trained too, like, God's just hit me me with this i'll hit you with it right we got to be out there doing what god has called us to do so the rest of this letter i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna speed through it my time is up and uh if you want to go and read the rest of the letter is basically final greetings he's talking about um he says, uh, he names a bunch of people who's with him and, and he, and he, and he uh, bolsters them. He says, uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have uh, received instructions. If, uh, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, oh, I will say this. Uh, if any, is anybody pregnant in here? You already got a name for your baby? Ah, oh, This is the name right here. This is, if I, was, if I was to have another baby, this would be the name. This, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I might adopt somebody that ain't got a name yet and name them this, okay? Uh, it says, um, and Jesus, who is called Justice, J-U-S-T-U-S. That may be the baddest name I've ever seen. That is an awesome name. Anyway, side note, I don't even know why I said that. Justice is an awesome name. He says, these are the only two men of the circumcision among my fellows worker for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. They were comforting him. They were there with him. Uh, Aristarchus was a fellow prisoner. And I wonder if Paul, I, it doesn't say this, um, and, and I haven't seen a commentary to say this, but I just wonder, I wonder how many people Paul converted while he was in prison. You know, and, and, and this principles that I'm, and I, that I'm drawing from the word here, I'm just making this stuff up. Some, most of the t- I don't know if I say most, let's just say a lot. A lot of the time, your greatest testimony and your most impactful moments on people are when you are in your worst place. Because it's really easy to be, Ooh, you know, when, you, when everything's going right. You got a pocket full of money. You got a great job. You're driving your Benz or whatever it is. And like you're smiling, going down the road. Everybody's like, well, we know why they're happy. They've got the goods of the world. But when tragedy strikes and it gets so hard and you're still like, though he slay me, oh man, that's when we got things going on. When you are at your lowest low and you say, praise the Lord. I've had much and I've had little, praise the Lord. That's when people look, because everybody knows that they're going to be okay when everything's okay. I mean, that's why it's called okay, Right. But when everything's not okay, but you still have an underlying foundational okay. And even better than okay, I'm talking about fulfillment. A joy that is deeper than the temporary struggles and trials of this world. That's when people see that. Because everybody knows it's coming. Everybody. It doesn't matter what position you're in right now. You can be at the best place you've ever been in, but in the back of your mind. You know that you were older today than you were yesterday. You know that wrinkle's coming. You know that hearse is coming. You know tax season's coming. Right? You know it's coming, right? And so in the back of your mind, you're like, it's good now, but it's gonna be bad, right? And so when you see somebody who when you see somebody who is who is okay and not just okay. But overjoyed in the hard season, you take note of that. And, and these types of things start to come into your mind. What well, have they got that I don't have that I know I'm going to need? That's Christ. That's Christ. So I think we go back. That's why Paul. Okay, I'll, I'll end with this. You guys come on up. Um, I'm not going to go any further. You can read it for yourself. There is one one last verse at the end, I, I will say in just a second, but I want you to remember this. Remember the Philippian jailer, how the Lord reached him. How did the Lord reach the Philippian jailer? Now, I didn't have this in here, but it made me think of it because Paul here, he's he's writing this from prison, right? There, in this terrible situation and uh they're singing hymns and the lord through this horrible horrible situation brings about the salvation of this of this man who just was witness to these great things in a low time paul says here he says And when this letter has been read among you, he's he's telling you, you've got to read this in in all the churches. Read it in Colossae. When you're done there, read it in Laodicea. When you're done there and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodicea. And see that uh, you also read the letter from Laodicea. So just let it keep on going. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. He says this, remember my chains. Remember my chains. Why well, would he end on that note? I think it's exactly what we've been talking about. Paul's saying, remember, he's already prayed that you would pray that what got him in the chains would be able to keep on happening. I'm willing to risk the chains. As a matter of fact, my chains, he said this early in the letter, he said, my chains serve as a, as a reminder And as a a sign of the glory of God. Because I rejoice over these chains. Because the gospel got me here. And if this is what it takes for me to glorify my Father who is in heaven. Then then bind me feet and hands and shackle me up. I'm good to go. You see, it's in the darkest times when we're the greatest greatest recognition of the light that's shining out of us. So, let's all stand on our feet as, as we close out. I wanna, I wanna ask you, are you, uh, are you founded on Christ? Is he the centerpiece? And how are you interacting with those people around you? Is it Christ that's at the center of everything and he's why you do what you do? And you may need to repent today. I know that I need to repent some today. I've not done that like I should, right? But are you moving in the Lord Jesus Christ in a calculated way, communicating with the rest of your team? There's so much stuff going on here at the church that you could be involved in. And I know I say this all the time, but if you're not involved in anything here at the church, I would just ask a simple question. Why? What are you doing? Are you so busy for the Lord that you can't help the church continue in the work of the gospel? Consider how God could use you here at the well. I just make that plea before you today. Do business with Christ. Think about how you treat the people around you. And is it glorifying Christ? Do business with God.